Uh, thank you for coming back after that first conference. I'm amazed you're here. I want to, uh, uh, you to consider in the second uh, conference the pernacity of the martyrs and how that relates to our own life. Um, and this is the largest group of men we've ever had. And you're going to bring all your brothers and your sons with you next time. We're going to have over 30 people here next time. We'll have room for you. If the reading of the lives of the saints is a great means of preserving piety, which St. Philip Neri tells us it is, and all the masters of the spiritual life tell us, we shall find it more useful to read about the victories of those who have shed their blood for our Lord, especially amongst such torments. You see behind me a soldier ready to draw his sword for our Lord. That's You are that soldier, each and every one of you, and you must be willing to draw your sword and sever whatever would pull you apart from our Lord, whether it be your business dealings, whether it be gossip, whether it be temptations against purity. We shall consider to our spiritual advantage in this conference the principal virtues by which the martyrs gave proof of their love for God, especially in time of combat. The martyrs, they are indebted for the crowns which they have received, the power which they have received from our Lord Jesus Christ. For it is he that has given them strength to despise all the things of the world. He's given them strength amongst the threats of the tyrants. He's given them strength to endure all the torments until they make a complete an entire sacrifice of their own lives. You are called to that, whether you be married or single, you are called to that. An entire sacrifice of your lives. The married life is, is no easy life. The more I think on marriage, each time when I teach marriage instructions, I think what heroic men fathers must be. So that all their merit, as St. Augustine writes, were the effects of the grace that God imparted to them. It's also certain, and even a faith, that on their part, the martyrs cooperated with the graces which enabled them to obtain victory. That cooperation is a very important part in our lives and what we must consider today as we progress on our quest for happiness. Cooperation with God's graces. The martyrs acquired great merits because of great virtue and even heroic virtue. The martyrs were all firmly attached to the dogmas of the Catholic faith as you are. That is one of your greatest virtues. You've traveled, some of you have traveled as far as California, over 2,000 miles away, I think it's 3,000 miles. New York, Pennsylvania, Florida, <coughs> Illinois, Michigan, Kentucky, Ohio, Indiana, too. You've traveled quite far because of your love for the dogmas of the Catholic faith. 
In the first ages of the church, there were two false religions in particular, which harassed the early Christians, that of the Gentiles and that of the Jews. The religion of the Gentiles was evilly, easily proven false. They furnished their own proof when they claim that there are many gods. And we know that there cannot be many gods. There can only be one God. And we owe the wonderful providence and order in the world that one God, if there were many, the gods would be warring, sparring to be the greatest, to be number one, and there would be constant disorder in the world rather than the order which we see. And I'm not talking about the individual countries or individuals in themselves. I'm talking about the order that exists between the rains, the water, the air, all these natural happenings. This is evident even in the eyes of natural reason, for every kingdom divided amongst itself shall be destroyed. Moreover, dear men, the very words of the idolatrous priests clearly demonstrate the falsity of their worship, since their actions, since the actions that they attributed to their gods represented the gods as filled with passion and with vice, with anger and with lust. This was the way in which the holy martyrs reproached the tyrants. When the tyrants exhorted them to sacrifice to these idols, they would say, how can we adore your gods? If instead of being models of virtue, they exhibit to us only examples of vice, hatred, anger. The religion of the Jews, although it was once holy and was revealed by God, was at that time obsolete and had become false. It had become false not that truth becomes false, but that it did it finished it did not accomplish what it needed to or it was the it was to set up for the Christian religions what I'm saying. In the fact that the, in the scriptures themselves, which they had received from God and had preserved with so much care, and which the Jews transmitted to us, predicted that at a certain time the Son of God would come down upon earth, would become a man, would die for the salvation of the world, and that they, the chosen people themselves, would put him to death on the cross, as they actually did. And that in punishment for this, the Jews would be driven from their own kingdom, which happened in 67 AD as Rome was, excuse me, as Rome burnt Jerusalem, the temple, scattered the Jews. And thus the Jews would be without a king, without a temple, without a country. They would be scattered and be vagabonds throughout the world. And they would be abhorred and despised by all nations. This has come to pass. And in the, I believe it was the 50s, they are trying to regroup in Judea, in Jerusalem. And uh, we'll, see, we'll see what God has in store for them. Ultimately, they will convert to the Catholic faith, which we should be most happy. These were the predictions that were manifestly realized in every circumstance after the death of our Lord. What rendered still more certain the truth of our faith 
was the formation of a new people of God by conversion. The conversion of the Gentiles. There will be the conversion of the Jews before the end of the world. This was known and announced beforehand in the scriptures. And this was seen to be realized as soon as the apostles spread throughout the world in order to promulgate the new law preached by our Lord Jesus Christ. And before the death of the apostles, the gospel had been carried to all the then known civilized world. This is the evident proof of the protection of God, which he gave to the Christian religion. How could these poor sinners, how could these publicans, such as the apostles were, men devoid of instruction, devoid of wealth, devoid of power, devoid of every human assistance, actually on the contrary to be true, persecuted by power, persecuted by wealth. How could these 12 simple men, 11 if you take Judas out, if you put Matthias in, 12, how could these men have converted such a world, such as much as the world by the year 200? They produce so many Christians who renounced their property, renounced their honors, and gave of themselves to be sacrificed, gave their lives amid the torments, the most excruciating torments that the powers and the cruelty of the tyrants could invent. But what was still more marvelous, dear men, just like with you, was to behold so many Gentiles embrace a religion that was difficult to believe, a religion that was difficult to practice. There, there is the saying, it's easy to live a Protestant and hard to die a Protestant. It's hard to live a Catholic and easy to die a Catholic because our faith offers us so many consolations. It was difficult to believe on the part of the intellect for this religion teaches truths which stretch far beyond human reason, namely the Blessed Trinity, namely the one nature, the one power, the one will of God, the incarnation of our Lord upon this earth to die for mankind. How could he be man and God at the same time? And the many articles regarding original sin and the immortality of the soul, the sacraments, especially the Holy Eucharist. You're all familiar with the general attitude of men back at the time of our Lord when he told of the confection of the Holy Eucharist. The Jews put their hands over their ears, said this is a hard saying, who could say it? And they walked with him no longer. Scripture tells us. And our Lord turned to the apostles, will you also leave me? To whom, Lord, shall we go? They knew that he had the truth. It was difficult to practice on, not only on the intellect, but on the part of the will, for it commanded things contrary to the inclinations of fallen human nature. It commanded things that was repugnant to the liberties which the pagans were living, just like the Satanist in the Satanic Bible. It said their, their number one principle, do what thou wilt. No restraint, no conscience. Do what you feel like doing. That's good. Okay, and then they, they changed it because America was so alien to that philosophy. They changed the, the word, do what thou wilt in love. Okay, they had to add in love to there so that they can 
give an ambiguous term and justify what they were saying. They were accustomed to following their passions and giving themselves up to pleasures of the senses. But Christianity forbade a certain giving oneself up to any pleasure of the senses, a certain discipline. Even with these obstacles, the Christian religion saw itself embraced by so many nations. And as St. Alphonsus says, from this universal consent of the nations, St. Augustine argues the divinity of the Catholic religion. He says that had God, had not God illumined by his powerful grace so many civilized, barbarian, learned, and illiterate, noble, and plebeian, all immersed in superstitions of their country, imbued from the earliest years with maxims so opposed to the sanctity of the faith, how could they have embraced it? We look about us today, I'm a priest, you're not, and we wonder how are we going to bring this country back? How are we going to convert this nation so far gone with all these rainbow flags popping up everywhere and things? How are we going to do this? It's only going to be by the hand of God. But God may choose you to be his instrument. Don't be afraid of being that instrument. Besides the interior lights of grace, there were many other causes that induced the people to embrace Christianity and to remain firm in its profession as you have remained firm in profession. We've got some real young guys here. They're here out in the, they're out in the world, which if the world knew what they believed, they would try to lock them up and put them in straitjackets. You believe what young men believed 20, 50, 100, 200, 300 years ago. You acknowledge that truth does not change with society. The miracles contributed much to inflame the zeal of the early Christians. For from the moment in which the apostles began to preach, our Lord caused miracles to abound in testimony of their faith and their teaching. St. Mark says, They preached everywhere, the Lord working with all, and confirming the word with signs that followed the miracles. It is certain that the great miracles that were performed by the apostles and their disciples contributed largely to the conversion of the world. In vain did the idolaters try to pretend that this was magic. Magic is what they used, and so they were trying to project that upon the Christians. But everyone understood Everyone that's honest understood that God would never permit them, the apostles, if they were to serve the purpose of giving support to the devil, God would not give them the power of miracles. No religion has that. The working of miracles was therefore truly a divine proof by which God confirmed the Catholic religion and the faith of believers. The faith further became strengthened by the constancy of the martyrs, both the women and the men, of every age and condition, the aged, the young, the noble, the plebeian, the rich, the poor, the learned and the unlearned, the married and the single. They were seen to renounce their homes, their parents, their titles, their fortunes, everything they possessed, 
They embrace scourges. They embrace racks, fire and torture, and even death itself under the most horrible manners, shapes. And all this was not only with courage, but with joyfulness and with thanksgiving. And we have to consider that. When we have a, such little adversity, do we lose our patience? Do we blame God? Do we get frustrated? Do we let a few choice words slip from our lips? They were thankful to God that he made them worthy to suffer and to die for his love. St. Justin himself was a martyr. He confessed that this heroic virtue of the Christians had been the most powerful stimulus for him to embrace the faith. That was one of the things that sent me to the seminary in my mind, was reading the martyrs of the Colosseum, that one book. I was so impressed by those martyrs. It gave me such a desire to be like them. The martyrs received great courage in their sufferings from the desire of quickly arriving at holiness, which was promised by our Lord to his followers. Blessed are ye when they shall revile you and persecute you. There's more, but then he goes on to say, Be glad and rejoice, for your reward is very great in heaven. Everyone that shall confess me before men, I will confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But what above all fill the martyrs with courage and ardor and made them wish to die was their great love for our Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Martyrs, who wished to die on the cross. Every time I teach Palm Sunday to the students in Cincinnati, the Quest for Happiness, book two, I read how our Lord was anxious to go to Jerusalem. Our Lord for two years steered clear of Jerusalem because he knew that they were plotting and planning and desiring to kill him. But on Palm Sunday, when it was time, our Lord led the apostles. He said, I desire to eat this Pasch with you, and we will do it in Jerusalem. He sent two of the apostles to go and find the place for Holy Thursday. And the apostles reminded, Lord, they want to kill you there. Our Lord had been spending time in the outer regions outside of Judea and the other four um, suburbs or provinces, provinces of Judea. Yes, he wasn't there because the Pharisees kept molesting him, trying to kick him out of synagogues, trying to discredit him, trying to contradict him. Actuated by this love, the martyrs went with joy to suffer and die for Christ so that they were not content simply to endure the pains that were inflicted upon them St. Alphonsus says they actually provoked the executioners. They prove God bless you. They actually provoked the tyrants to obtain an increase of torture in order that they might show themselves more grateful to God who died for love of them. Martyrdom is the quickest way to heaven, my dear men. The words of St. Thomas More come back to my mind. It's not in the pages here, but I love the Men for All Seasons movie where his wife and his daughter and son-in-law Roper 
were sent into the prison and they were supposed to try to convince Thomas to uh, take the oath of supremacy. And Thomas, his wife's afraid that he's going to be executed. Thomas turns to, this is not the stuff martyrs are made of. Of course, he ends up being a martyr for the faith. Um, about four years ago, I was in Cincinnati on a Sunday morning. It was about five in the morning. It was still dark. And for some reason, I woke up early and got ready for church and went out to pray a rosary, walk around the neighborhood for a rosary. And then I hear this car come by. It's filled with some drunken men, boys, young men, 20, 25, I don't know, pretty dark. And uh, they see me. I'm in cassock. They see me and they... Uh, put on their brakes, and then turn into a drive, and they're coming back towards me. You never saw Father Greenwell run so fast in your life. Uh, I'm not the stuff martyrs are made of. I'm a coward. But you must be that. In the course of three centuries, the whole earth was filled with Christians and martyrs. There was no nation, Greek or barbarian, which did not offer prayers and thanksgiving to our Lord Jesus Christ. St. Irenaeus, in like manner, he attests that at this time, at his time, the faith of our Lord was extended over the entire world. One of the most prolific of historians of the early Christian era, Philme, in a letter to Trajan, he declared that the Christian faith was extended to such a degree that the temples of the gods were abandoned and victims were no longer offered as idols. You know what the real problem was? The idol makers, they ran out of business. And so they were complaining, complaining to the Roman pagans against the Christians. They wanted to make more idols and sell them, and they, they weren't being sold. Nobody was buying them anymore. Tiberius also wrote to the same emperor that it was unwise to put to death all the Christians, since the number of those who were anxious to die for Jesus Christ was incalculable. From the fact of Clement of Alexander, from these facts, Clement of Alexander, he inferred that if God himself had not upheld the Christian faith, it could have never withstood so many efforts of so many philosophers like we have today, people trying to discredit the church. When you send your children to college, one of the first classes they'll have either from their English or their history teacher is how bad the church is. I've heard it time and time again from our students, how bad the church is, how untrue she is, how Violence she has been on the non-Christians. They always bring up the Spanish Inquisition. I did a 40-page paper on the Spanish Inquisition once in the seminary. I never got it back. I wish I had. All the facts are in there. Uh, how so many kings and emperors labored to extinguish the church by persecution. Julian said it once, but every king, every tyrant who tries to destroy the church, says it in his conscience before he dies, thou hast conquered, O Galilean, as Julian was dying. And he was right. Julian was an apostate. He was, I think, the nephew of Constantine. Constantine had executed some of Constantine's family for heresy. The number of Christians far from having been diminished by the slaughter of the saints was so wonderfully increased. Saint, excuse me, I almost said Saint Tertullian. He wasn't a saint. 
he became separated from the church later in life. Tertullian said, our numbers grow in the same measure that you continue to decimate us. He came out with a saying, which I used in my public high school for art, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. He uses the word seed because the blood of the martyrs is that which multiplied the faithful. It may take that again. Are you willing? Are you ready? Tertullian indeed boasted of this. He upbraided the tyrants for their impotency. Since even with all their endeavors to exterminate the followers of Christ, the streets, the forum, and even the Senate was filled with Christians. A contemporary of Tertullian was Origen, who once again was a good man. I believe he was good. Origen also writes, it is a thing worthy to be observed and eminently calculated to excite wonder, to behold the steady progress of the Christian religion, in spite of the most untiring persecution and continual martyrdoms. The Greeks and the barbarians, they were not Christian. They marveled that the wise and the unlearned alike voluntarily embraced the faith. From which they concluded that the propagation of this new Christian faith has to be something supernatural. They used the term of power superior to, to human power. By the end of the second century, Tertullian, he says, all nations had embraced the faith of our Lord. And he goes on, and I could go on, Parthians, Medes, Amalites, Mesopotamia, Armenia, Phrygia, Cappadocia. He goes on, that's a third of what I've got down here. Even many remote nations, provinces, and islands. Further, a hundred years after he died, Arnobius, he adds to the list, and he includes most of the Middle East, Persians, Macedonia. St. Augustine adds, around 431, he adds, that England, Italy, Greece, and Africa were all Catholic. Most of the whole world was Catholic due to the sacrifice of the martyrs, due to the sacrifice that we need to perform also. After 10 persecutions, there were more than 10 persecutions. There were 10 great persecutions of the Roman emperors, which lasted for over 200 years, beginning with Nero, the greater part of the human race had abandoned the worship of false deities. Oh, if that would only be the case today. That would only be the case today. About 30 years ago, might have even been 35 years ago or so, I took a group of boys on a Saturday evening uh, to give them something to do. We went looking at churches. And we came across St. Lawrence Church, big church in the west side of Cincinnati. It was letting out of its... 5.30 evening Saturday Mass. One of the boys pretended to be Protestant, and he asked one of the ladies there, do you really believe that that is our Lord present in the Blessed Sacrament? He probably didn't put it in that eloquent of a term. And she says, oh, no, no, it's just a symbol. Now, we're in a, we're in a time when about 25% of our people go to church. Europe, it was 12% at this time, about 30 years ago, it was 12% in Europe. We had 25%. Of the 25% that Catholics who go to church, 
you would think this lady, 60, 70 years of age, knew the Catholic faith. And here she, probably one of the most conservative ones in that church. And, oh no, it's just a symbol of our Lord. If only the church, once again, most of the people were worshiping the true God. And it will happen. It'll happen through your merits. It'll happen through your sacrifices. After so many struggles, it pleased Almighty God to grant peace to the church under the great Constantine. This emperor was established in a miraculous manner. He was chosen by heaven to be an instrument of the Catholic faith. First of all, he overcame Maxentius in battle and afterward Licinius. Whatever direction he pointed that cross, the, the Gentiles fled or surrendered and peace was established. The Gentiles, he, Constantine wasn't just, okay, the Catholic faith can live. He wasn't one who just intolerated it. He actively pursued the establishment of the Catholic religion. The Gentiles were forbidden to offer sacrifice to any gods during Constantine's reign. First of all, he granted freedom to the church. Then in time, he forbade the pagans to worship their pagan gods. How glorious did the church then appear as she extended her blessings over nation after nation, her new conquest. And she brought additional joy to the hearts of her once persecuted children. They were being persecuted at that time by the Romans. Rome had become corrupt, as is our nation becoming corrupt. To my knowledge, and if you're any of your historians, I accept correction if I'm wrong. There's never been a republic that has lasted over 200 years without corrupting itself. Well, we celebrated our 200th uh, anniversary in 1976, if I'm correct. There's never been a republic, Greek, Roman, American, that has lasted over 200 years without corruption. And so it's only the Catholic faith that is going to bring this country back. A true, devout Catholic president could do that. How glorious did the church appear then as she brought joy to the hearts of the persecuted children. God's grace called a multitude of zealous converts to bring his blessings to each city. Filled with pagan statues, the new converts to the faith pulled them down. Filled with pagan altars, the new Christians tore them down and built Christian altars to worship the true God. Constantine endeavored to bring the faith to all mankind. According to Socrates, Constantine would not only would not grant any tribes or nations friendship with Rome, amity with Rome, amity, excuse me, with Rome, except under the condition that they become Christian. There's no flip-flopping back and forth with Constantine. Heresies sprung up, but the hand of God dealt with them mercifully, and many of them returned to the Catholic faith. I was, with a, I was in Cleveland 20 years ago, 25 years ago, for Holy Week, and I had a young boy with me from Cincinnati just to assist with the serving there. After Holy Saturday, everyone's worn out, we got something to eat, 
Then we went looking at churches once again. There's an awful lot of churches in Cleveland, awful lot of ethnic uh, Catholics, Ukrainians. You've got heretics up there also. Uh, you have those. We went to one church, drove into its drive. There was a nun, which was hard to recognize as a nun out there. She was gardening in her garden. And then she went in and made herself up a little bit and came back out and welcomed us to see come view the church. And I thought it was a, a, a Uniite or a Ukrainian Uniite church. I think it was Orthodox. And I began talking about St. Josephat. St. Josephat converted 200,000 heretics back or schismatics back to the Catholic faith. That nun didn't have nice words for St. Josephat. Uh, but uh, many of the heretics and schismatics have returned to the faith. It is your obligation and my obligation to try to bring them back to the faith. Many authors calculate that the number of those who laid down their lives and died a martyr's death to be during the persecutions 11 million souls. A fourth of the number of the babies we have aborted in this country. So that, okay, beautiful is the harvest of the holy martyrs that paradise has reaped since the gospel has been preached. On the day of judgment, there'll be great confusion amongst those who were once mighty, the tyrants of the world, the persecutors of the faith, and they will see the martyrs whom they once despised, whom they once maltreated. And they will see these celestial heroes appear in glory, extolling the greatness of God and armed with the sword of divine justice. That will cause them to fear. And these martyrs will avenge themselves for all the injuries and cruelties exercised against them. This was foretold by King David the high praises of God in their mouths, the two-edged swords in their hands to execute vengeance upon the nations, to bind their kings in fetters and their nobles in the manacles of iron. Then shall the martyrs judge the Neros of the world. Then shall the martyrs judge the Domitians of the world and the other persecutors and shall condemn them, as we read in St. Matthew, even to the exterior darkness where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is very important for you today, it's very important for me while we're on this retreat, to reflect upon the inevitable doom that will afflict each and every Christian who dies in mortal sin. Who will behold the anguish and see the triumph of the martyrs those martyrs who would rather than lose God suffered to be despoiled of all things. We underwent the most horrid torments that hell could suggest or tyrant inflict. And while they, the sinners, rather than yield to a point of honor or forego a momentary gratification, despise the suggestion of divine grace. Do we despise the suggestion of divine grace? Do we tell God, I want to be good, but not right now. I want to do this. I want to do this dishonest transaction. I want to enjoy this immoral movie. I want to do whatever. I want to get angry, explode, and get it off my chest. 
These have despised the suggestions of divine grace for some momentary gratification and have lost their souls forever. That can't be us. We can't let that happen. It is to our great advantage that we meditate upon the virtues of the martyrs, the virtues that they practice, especially during their suffering. When a man suffers, you really know what kind of man he is. Whether he draws strength from God, or whether he just sits there and cries and bemoans himself, or whatever the case may be. By beholding in devout meditation the utter contempt in which they held the world and all its allurements, we are taught to despise the fleeting and substantial pleasures which the world offers to deluded souls. Sounds nice. We can simplify these words. We think upon what the martyrs thought upon. If we value the things of the earth as they did, we will hold them as nothing but, as I use the word dross a little later, I think, dust and dross down here, we will hold them as dross, nothing. Something to tie around our necks and to keep us from flying to heaven. Not too long ago, and I don't remember any of the circumstances but besides what I will tell you, there were some boys, I don't know if they were bored in class or what the case was, they had captured a fly, a fairly good-sized fly, and they actually managed to tie a thread around its body. And then they let the fly go. And the fly just kept going, just kept going around because they had the other end of the string. Just watching the fly going around. Uh, that's what happens when we marry the things of the world. When we become attached to things, they keep us from flying to heaven. They keep us from flying to heaven. Many of these martyrs, before having been put to torture, had been offered by the tyrants immense rewards, post of honor, noble marriages to their daughters, to their relatives, to induce them to abandon the faith. These martyrs not only indignantly refused but they even willingly renounced the riches that they had accumulated, honestly, with hard work, with the sweat of the brow. And they offered themselves up to be tortured, the most excruciating tortures in death, in order not to lose the heavenly graces which divine providence had imparted to them. I believe it was Blessed Spinoza, who with his companions, in the forest of Japan. They had been suffering torture for two years. They had been tortured. Finally, as they were starting to die, two of his companions gave up and gave up the faith. After two years of suffering, imprisonment, chains, tortures, and things, I picture the North American martyrs, little Indian boys dropping coals on the martyrs tied on the ground and onto their stomach and watching it sizzle as it went down. Had they waited just a little longer. To St. Clement, the, the tyrant offered a great quantity of gold and precious stones if he would deny the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
But the saint raised his eyes to heaven and he said, And it is thus, O my God, that men treat thee to compare thee to dust and to dross. St. Theodore was offered by a heretic the episcopacy as a reward for his apostasy if he would break from the Roman Catholic Church. The holy martyr, ridiculing the proposal, responded, Pontifical dignity. I am about to enjoy God forever in heaven. And is it likely, think you, that I should prefer to remain on earth to follow the trade of a cook or a butcher or your false gods? He was a martyr. He went to heaven. And he's joined happiness forevermore. From the example of the martyrs, dear men, we learn to place our confidence only in God. And when we do that, we become daily more enamored with the excellence of our faith, the excellence of our faith. Since in their constancy, we cannot help but admiring the wonderful power of God, which enabled them to encounter torments and death with heroic fortitude and ecstatic joy. For without the most powerful assistance from heaven, the failing strength of the aged, the timorous disposition of the tender virgins, the recklessness of adolescent manhood, or the inconsideration of boyhood years, could equal to their tortures the bare recital which fills us with horror. Cauldrons of boiling oil and liquid pitch, red-hot coals of mail, hooks to pull the eyes, the teeth, iron combs to tear off the flesh, fires to quickly consume or to tediously torture, scourging until bones and bowels appeared, beheading, quartering, lacerating, impaling. These are only some of the ingredients which fill the martyr's cups. St. Barlaam, a poor laborer in the village of Antioch, having demonstrated extraordinary courage and fortitude during his sufferings, and having been scourged until the executioners could scourge him no more because they were exhausted, was obliged by a tyrant to hold his hand over a fire and it burned him, but it, in the genius of the tyrant, he decided to put some incense in his hands so that when he would do that, he would offer incense to the gods. And a, and, a, and a charcoal, like the boys use in benediction. A charcoal and some incense. The saint stood there and put it in his hands and embraced it until he died. He did not drop it to the fire so they could claim that he had offered incense to the gods. Tomorrow uh, would be the third conference, the one which I like the best. And it deals with how God deserves to be loved above everything. And there will be several points on how we can love God above everything. If you're sincere, you'll take those points and you will practice them. If you stand, we'll say a prayer. If you please go into chapel afterwards and make a resolution. Thank you for your time.